After a long, drawn-out affair that covered the entire month of January, Oklahoma can finally move on to the 2022 season with clarity at the quarterback position. After stringing multiple teams along, Caleb Williams finally announced his decision to follow Lincoln Riley to Southern California on Tuesday morning. Was Williams just leveraging other teams for a bigger NIL deal in California? Was his plan always to follow the turncoat Riley to USC? Unfortunately, that full story will likely always stay with Caleb Williams' inner circle and Lincoln Riley himself. Now, I've been very outspoken about my distaste with this whole ordeal, and to be honest, it's likely a wound that's not going to heal for me until OU is able to kick off again in September. Regardless of what you think about how Caleb Williams handled this entire situation, I think we can all at least agree to some extent that this is what big change in college football looks like. And anytime there is big change of any variety, that's going to leave a sour taste in some people's mouths. You just can't get around it. However, we can now say this definitively. Dylan Gabriel is QB1 at Oklahoma. It's his job. There are some concerns I have with his game that I'm sure we're going to dig very deep into over the course of the next seven months. I can say this definitively, though. I am thrilled that Dylan Gabriel wants to be an Oklahoma Sooner. That is a quality that his predecessor emphatically does not possess. I am Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Hey, welcome to West of Everest. Our long national nightmare is over. Caleb Williams is no longer a free agent. He's finally decided to play football at USC. Just took him four weeks and a day to come to that conclusion. Coming up on the show today, of course, we'll react to Williams finally making that decision. Grant will get to spike the football for being correct about Jackson Dart's likely destination. But to be honest, I'll get to do a little football spiking as well when we look back at our 2021 preseason predictions. And we'll go over where we went right and where we went wrong on our big season preview podcast that happened months and months and months ago. Just uh, to note, I I do know and I am aware that we've got National Signing Day Part 2 coming up tomorrow, February 2nd. The Sooners looking to sign some more players to that 2022 class that it's in the top 10 right now. And obviously Oklahoma's hoping to keep it a top 10 class. But, you know, as we say over and over again on this podcast, we are not recruiting experts and this is not a recruiting podcast. So any sort of in-depth thoughts on who Oklahoma might get tomorrow can be found elsewhere. Now, once the class is set in stone, then, yeah, you know, at that time, Grant and I will probably have some thoughts on the class and we'll make those clear down the line so without any further ado let's bring back in grant and grant i gotta ask you do you got uh, some things to get off your chest about being right about jackson dart probably <clears throat> excuse me probably going to ole miss which you said last podcast now it is official jackson dart and his teammate michael trigg going to ole miss i mean honestly not really i um I just, I never really got wrapped up in it. I just, it never made sense to me. And I, you know, we're in 2022. Kids don't, don't transfer to go sit behind somebody. That's just, it's, I, I'm, that's just not something that we're going to see at all going forward. Guys like, guys like Jackson Dart are going to go somewhere where they can absolutely start with no question marks whatsoever. Um, that wasn't going to be the case at OU. Um, and so, I mean, that, that, that was a pretty easy conclusion for me to jump to yeah i gotta give you credit 
you saw right through all that smoke because I'm over here just sitting here taking in all the information, just buying into the assumption that Jackson Dart may have been looking at Oklahoma as a better landing spot uh, because of Brent Venables and because Jeff Lebby were most likely going to be, uh, you know, going to be around as his head coach and his offensive coordinator for the next two years. And, you know, even if he didn't beat out Dylan Gabriel in 2022 for the starting job, then Gabriel was going to leave, and then Dart would be the starter in 23, and then again in 2024 if he wanted to stick around that long. You know, but you're right. Uh, players don't transfer to play behind anybody, especially at quarterback in 2022. And the more I think about it, the, the more I should have seen that, and I didn't. And that was probably wishful thinking on my part, hoping that Dart would come to Oklahoma just to bolster that quarterback room behind Dylan Gabriel or with Dylan Gabriel, however you want to say it. Uh, like, like you said, you're right. A guy like Dart, he's already played a season in college football, didn't get to play a full season last year. He doesn't want to waste his time in college, potentially being a backup, not being the starter. So, yeah, you're right. He's going to Ole Miss. And he can only and, transfer once. Yeah. He can only transfer once. Like, this is his only free transfer. So, like, he comes to OU and he's sitting behind Dylan Gabriel. He's, I mean, he's pretty much out of options. Well, and he just has to wait. And like you said, people aren't – I mean, the whole point – I shouldn't say the whole point, but a big part of the transfer portal and waiving the the year sitting out is that players, if they're not playing, they want to go somewhere where they can play. And you're, you're a quarterback, especially a player like Dart, who was highly recruited. I'm not sure. I don't think he was a five-star, but he's a guy that probably thinks, hey, I want to go and play for Lane Kiffin, and I want to play for two years and go to the NFL and fast-track it. Um, I will say, you mentioned Michael Trigg last week because that was the guy that you wanted almost even more than dart and i didn't know i'm really not even almost definitely the guy i wanted more than okay. dart and i hadn't watched any trig i didn't know much about him so i didn't engage in that part of the conversation and so i didn't want to comment and say that i did watch some video of him and yeah i get it i'm with you that would have been a great addition to oklahoma he looks tall he looks athletic looks like a potential playmaker so that's a good get for Ole miss and i think darts a good get as well and, uh, yeah, that would have definitely bolstered Oklahoma's roster. So I, I see what you meant with Michael Triggs. So uh, I do, that's, I, that's kind of a bummer. You know, I mean, to, to inject some positivity into it, I think Dylan Gabriel is better than Jackson Dart. I mean, just from what we've seen so far as college players. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just – I was excited for the potential, like, a, a real competition because I don't think it would have been a sham competition. I think Dart could have came in and – who knows? I mean, maybe even though Gabriel had more years under Levy's offense, I don't know. Maybe something would have happened where it would have been a, a good battle. But I know that Dylan Gabriel was welcoming the competition. He was like, yeah, come on in. And from what I've heard, it sounds like Dart was like, nah, nah. I'd rather go somewhere where it's obvious I'm going to be the starter. And yeah, I mean, hey, if, if Dart would have come to OU, that would have been about a about as clear of a, you know, of a message basically saying he wants to be here than anything else because he because it wasn't it wasn't guaranteed that he was going to start so like you know I mean it's of course like I want dudes who are going to be here but I'm sorry you're just you're not going to find guys in the transfer portal who were starters and they're going to transfer somewhere to compete to be the starter not just be the starter like in in, in the year 2022 that's just not going to be a thing that happens Okay so from one former USC quarterback to now a former Oklahoma quarterback who is now the USC quarterback Caleb Williams and we're recording on February uh, February 1st, Tuesday, and it was this morning you talked about it in your opening take. 
Caleb Williams finally picks USC. It's uh, I did the math. You know, it was it was four weeks ago yesterday. <laughs> he just so okay. Like we all we all kind of figured it would be USC after some time. Now that it's done, Grant, I know you talked about it a little bit in your opening take, but anything else you want to get off your chest about how you feel that now finally it's over and we can all officially move on? Well, I think, I mean, I think we should, you know, we should probably move on, you know, from, from rehashing what, what happened, you know, over the course of the last two months, just as a, as a topic on the podcast, it may come up as just kind of like jokes and referencing it like in the future, but you know, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, Caleb Williams is really good. He's, he's instantly the best player that USC has had in I, decades. I, I mean, and since like since Juju Smith Schuster was there, um, I, you know, I'm just saying like players in general. Um, I think he, he's going to well, I mean, make them. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, was a, I mean, I when you say best best player since, I start think back of those old USC teams with Leinert and Bush and those guys. I mean, I. I guess I mean it was I didn't follow USC much when Juju was there, but I mean he. he was, I mean they had some good players. Awesome. They had like they had like Juju and they had Adore Jackson, who was who was a really good college player. So I mean I let's I mean I we don't Adore. need to go too far. I think it's Adore Jackson. You're right, but I don't. Whatever. It's 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 a weird it, it's a weird name that not a lot of people have. Cut me some slack. It's a very unique name. Yes. So yeah. Anyway, uh, I. I I'll say this. So, like, my feelings on this, and I'll just say, like, I, I was the crazy person who was like, you know what? Until it's officially official, I'm going to, for some reason, think that, hey, Oklahoma's still a chance, you know, got a shot. Okay, it's over now. It's over now. Oklahoma's not in the picture. They're gone. It's done. Uh, okay, easy. Uh, it's just the whole situation I know bothers you more than, as, as far as just whatever, you know, him leaving Oklahoma. I, I know it bothers you more than it bothers me. We get it. But to, to me, it's just. I'm glad it's over. It's just super weird that he waited a month plus to make the decision uh, to ultimately make the move that makes the most sense given what everything we know about Caleb Williams and his family, given everything we know about Caleb and what his family said that they prioritized when searching for his, you know, his 2022 college. And it, it's just like why take so long? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe he wanted to see he wanted to truly see what all was out there. I guess, and he did. I'm sure he did. Uh, but to me, like I said before in the podcast, it came down to simply he went to Oklahoma because of Lincoln Riley. He decided that hey, Lincoln Riley is a guy that has recently put Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts into the NFL. Two of those players were drafted number one overall. And Caleb Williams is a player that has more talent than a Baker Mayfield. He has more talent than a Jalen Hurts. And his talent is probably on par with a Kyler Murray, especially if you're going to judge each player based on their first year in college. I mean, Murray didn't play as much as Caleb played his first year at Texas A&M. And I'd say that Caleb Williams' time at Oklahoma, as far as how well he played, is better than Kyler Murray the way, you know, his first year at A&M before he transferred to Oklahoma. So, Saying all that, it would make sense that Caleb Williams is a, is, a, is a person that would say, hey, Lincoln Riley got those guys to where they wanted to go. I'm just as good, if not better, than those guys. Therefore, there's a great chance that Lincoln Riley will get me to the NFL and maybe even get me to be the number one pick as well. So Riley goes to USC. It makes all the sense in the world that Caleb Williams 
goes to Southern California to follow him. I get it. Now, like, if you dig into more of the details, and this is kind of the, how I want to move forward with the story, you get into more of the nuance. At this point now, Caleb Williams, his job as a quarterback, Grant, just got a lot more difficult when it comes to winning games. <laughs> and that's compared to what it would have been like at Oklahoma and also what it would have been like if he would have gone to Wisconsin, which we'll talk about a little bit here in a little bit, that Wisconsin came on in the last week since our last podcast as potentially a spot that he could have gone. So when I say that his job got a lot more difficult as far as winning games now that he's at USC, I, I would anticipate you agreeing with that sentiment, Grant. Do you? Yeah, I mean, he's making it harder on himself, for sure. Yeah. As, yeah, as far as winning games, yeah. Yeah, def- I mean, for sure, 100%. Like, I mean, we've... Listen, I, I think Caleb Williams is so good that he can change USC's fortunes around pretty quick. That's kind of a relative statement. Um, you know, I, I said this a couple podcasts ago. I've been USC was really bad this year, as in they didn't have really any good players. And you don't just you don't just rebuild that in one year with one guy. Um, like we saw, you know, we saw Caleb Williams and Mario Williams here at OU um, struggle at you know at times with frankly, a lot better players than he's going to have around him at USC to, to start out. And I don't even want to start. I mean, OU's defense was bad this year. USC's got way worse players right now than OU does on the defensive side of the ball. USC's not like they are. They, they earned every, every bit of that four and eight record this year. Um, that's one of the, like, this is, this is going to be one of the most interesting stories to follow for sure, because the national media is, uh, is is certain that Lincoln Riley is going to turn this thing around quickly, and um, I know I think there's a lot of OU fans, and maybe this is just sour grapes, and OU fans just being ah, you know, thinking thinking to themselves, I I saw this OU team play in 2021. Um, I I saw the culture kind of you know take a hit pretty much every subsequent year that Lincoln Riley was there, and now he's starting at a place that already had a rotten culture doesn't have as many good players as he started with in 2017 at OU. I don't know. It's it's pretty easy for a lot of OU fans to see that thing going sideways. Yeah. But yeah, but you're right. I'm yeah, you're fully, right. fully, fully concede that could be sour grapes, the disappointment of how everything ended, clouding my judgment there. But I mean it's not when you got Bruce Feldman out there tweeting saying that this is the least that this the twenty twenty one USC roster was the worst roster they've had since before Pete Carroll was there, and you're, that's that's over twenty years. That's that's very significant, very very significant. Yeah, and I'm with you. Like we're honest, we're open. We we do an Oklahoma football podcast. We we're definitely biased, and sure, there there could be some sour grapes here, but we try to do our best to kind of search through and and get through all of that BS, all of that crimson colored glasses stuff. And I I think we do a pretty good job of it. And the reasons why things could, you know, may not be as good as, as USC is hoping are are pretty obvious that you you brought up now. Granted over time, I I think we both have said like, we think Lincoln Riley and USC, they're going to be fine. They're going to win a lot of games. He's he's a good coach. He's a really good coach. Uh, the, The question is though, can they, you know, how long will it take to be a legitimate playoff contender or heck, let's just say a legitimate contender in the Pac-12 to actually win the conference again and make the playoff? I don't know. I, I don't know how long that's going to take. The Pac-12 is is not that great of a conference. You think the recruiting is going to pick up for USC? Uh, there's a good chance that pretty quickly they could they could start winning the Pac-12. It's just 
is Lincoln Riley a guy that can actually, you know, first of all, win a playoff game, win a playoff game, and can he win a national title? I, so far, he has proven that he is not that person. Can he evolve? I don't know. And we're going to watch for that. And um, I, I, what I'll say is that the things that you need to turn around a program quickly, going from a bad season to a good season the next season, honestly, are, are the things that Lincoln Riley was not good at at OU. And that's, one, instilling a culture of toughness, and two, being really detail-oriented. And I'm sorry, OU's teams under Lincoln Riley were some of the worst detail-oriented teams I've, I've seen in the Big 12, just in general. Um, with penalties, making stupid mistakes, so many mental mistakes on Lincoln Riley's OU teams. Um, I don't know. I just fascinating does, considering... Does all of that change? Right, right. It's, it's, I think you make a good point. It's fascinating that they, they were so sloppy because of how smart of a guy Lincoln Riley is and how, I guess, it, it seems like he's a very detail-oriented person with his offense. Like how particular he is with his offense, you would think he every little detail he would be honing in on. But it, and I'm sure in, in a lot of respects he does that maybe we just can't see certain places. But when it comes to like we've ripped on him before, I mean, when it comes to making in-game adjustments, it just doesn't exist. It's just not a thing that he has had shown over time, especially against good defenses that he could do. Uh, and and like we said, I think last podcast, weirdly enough, he hired a defensive coordinator that was basically the same way when it comes to adjustments, whether it be in game or week to week, it, it wasn't happening. So, uh, yeah, that's it. So I, I did, I did want to talk more about how, uh, Caleb Williams has, you know, made it more difficult on himself to win games. I, I think he'll, he'll be fine. He'll probably be able to, uh, he'll look good. He'll be in the offense. The, the problem is though, he's the only one, him and Mario Williams, Oh, the only one on that offense that that knows this offense. So, like, I mean, they have experience, but nobody else in that offense knows Lincoln Riley's system. And you've already referenced it before. Both sides of the ball, not just the defense, but both sides of the ball need a ton of work. And just to piggyback off of the Bruce Feldman thing that you mentioned, I heard from a trusted source that USC is considered to be bad in the trenches on both sides of the football. Uh, like, I mean, really bad. Like talking offensive line, defensive line. Uh, they have, they do have some talent. They have some some pieces at the skill positions on offense, which, and they bolstered it with Mario Williams, and obviously with Caleb Williams there. But outside of that, it, Bruce Feldman mentioned it. You know, he said that, like like you said, like he was around USC at the end of last season, and this is the worst roster he's seen since since before Pete Carroll got there. So, like, we're going to find out, I think, in 2022, this upcoming season, just how good Caleb Williams really is. Like, how much can he elevate a team that, yeah, they've added some transfers, they've added some talent, but it's a roster that's not very good. How much can he elevate this team? And he he's a kid, but you'd hope that he understands that. Uh, and if he's being realistic with himself – 2023 is going to be the year where Caleb and Lincoln and all those guys, they, they circle as like, all right, this is where we can make a legitimate run, hopefully at a championship. What kind of championship that is? Certainly the Pac-12 should be on the table in 2023 after 2022. After that, I don't, I don't know if they're you – know, but we'll, we'll learn a lot about this team and, and the way they go in 2022. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for 2023 to be that year. Because this recruiting class for USC is a bust. The 2022 recruiting class is not good. 
That's what they need to make 2023 a good year. You can't you can't be relying on a bunch of true freshmen coming in to that's just that's that will never work in college football ever. <laughs> so like yeah. it's I mean this is like this is a big rebuild for for USC. It helps it helps them that Caleb Williams is going that may speed it up a little bit. But you don't like it's if you're that bad in the trenches. You, I mean it's it's going to be hard to win. Like I mean when Alabama already had good players when Nick Saban got there. It's this is this is a lot this is a lot different right now. See what we don't know, and and what I'm super interested to find out more. And I'm not sure if if it's possible to do a whole lot of research on this. I'm sure it is. Uh, it just takes the time. But you got to give credit, and we have on this podcast for m- multiple years. You got to give credit to Alex Grinch because from 2018 to 2019, Oklahoma's defense and Grinch's first season made a gigantic improvement. I mean, he turned the defense around. Oklahoma's defense was probably the worst power five defense. If not, I mean, they were definitely top five, worst power five, maybe top three worst power five defense in the country in 2018. And in 2019, the defense was, was, it was, it was good. It was middle of the pack. Uh, I mean, had its issues, but incredible improvement. And so what I want to know about USC's roster, is it, is it possible for USC's defense to make that kind of leap in year one under Alex Grinch with the guys they have on their roster? And I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, like we know, like Kenneth Murray was on Oklahoma's roster, and like he was really good in 2019 and one year under Alex Grinch. Does what USC do we know? have? I'd say, what ahead. do we know about what do we know about what an Alex Grinch defense needs to be really good? And I, I, I would say. You need you need a corner that can cover man on man reliably. You need a nickel who can cover man on man reliably. Does does USC have two guys who who are good in man coverage? Well, like, also, I mean, that what, would, uh, what does Oklahoma what has Oklahoma been good at? And even actually in 2018, what was the strength of Oklahoma's defense? Even though it was a bad defense, their their line. I mean, Neville Gallimore was on the team. Like their defensive line gave up way too much as far as like easy yardage on the ground but the defensive line I think even though it was a bad defense was I guess by default the strength of the team and that only got better in 2019 2020 2021 I mean how many years the last two years we've just gushed about Oklahoma's defensive line does USC have anybody on the defensive line that once they get into Alex Grinch's system is going to be unlocked or made better if it's true that they are as bad as I've heard they are in the trenches, and they don't really have anybody anybody on the defensive line. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, that's so. I mean, the offense will probably find ways to score points. Lincoln Riley's a good coach. It's a good offense. It's new to the Pac-12. That definitely will help Lincoln Riley because the Big Twelve defensive coordinators seemingly over time it's starting to kind of figure out his offense. Uh, you know, Pac-12 wise, it's new to him. Maybe they'll have some time adjusting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, four and eight last year. I, that'd be an incredible turnaround if they were eight and four, you know, in 2022, if they flipped their record. I'll be curious to see what USC's season win total is whenever Vegas starts, you know, coming out with those. And I, I'm never sure anymore when they start coming out with season win totals. Is it, heck, it might be the spring nowadays because – Sports betting is so much more popular, and certain books want to just get out in front of everything. But definitely by June, July, we'll start to get a consensus on what USC's season win total is, and that'll kind of give us an idea of, of how good people think they're going to be. 
And uh, yeah, we'll get to that at some point. So I, I did want a couple other prompts. I mean, uh, how about Wisconsin? We briefly talked about Wisconsin because we had heard it, it as it came up. I think one of the on three recruiting analysts had crystal balled Caleb Williams to Wisconsin, you know, right before our last podcast. And then there was more and more smoke since our last podcast that Wisconsin could be a spot. And you know, even after Wisconsin last week hires Bobby Ingram as the offensive coordinator, Caleb Williams still goes to USC. So I even texted one of my best friends who's a Wisconsin alum, big Wisconsin guy. And when I heard about Bobby Ingram being officially the offensive coordinator, I texted my friend and said, hey, man, I, you, Caleb Williams might go to Wisconsin because that was one of the, the dominoes to fall that I had heard was going to probably happen. It did. And that was a, you know, another reason why I thought Williams, and you might be thinking, you know, why? It, well, Bobby Ingram's son goes to Wisconsin, and I've heard that Bobby, Ingram and, Bobby Ingram's son and Caleb Williams are best friends. <laughs> I mean, they're tight. And so that kind of got me believing that there might be a chance he goes to Madison. And then you throw in the fact that Bobby Ingram, he's got multiple seasons coaching in the NFL as a position coach under his belt. You know, that fulfills the, you know, the, the NFL-type ties that the Williams family was looking for. And if you even want to dive even deeper into NFL ties, quarterback-type ties like Caleb Williams obviously is, Paul Christ, head coach of Wisconsin, he coached Russell Wilson during Wilson's one season at Wisconsin back in 2011. So, I mean, Chris has that Russell Wilson tie. I don't know how much Russell Wilson is involved with Wisconsin's program now, but it's, it's just a connection that I kind of thought of. But it was all speculation. It was pointless because he's going to USC. But, uh, yeah, were you – whenever the Wisconsin stuff started picking up, was there ever a moment, Grant, where you kind of thought, oh, my gosh, Wisconsin might be the place? Because you mentioned on the last podcast that that would be – what did you say? It would be great for college football or it would be super interesting for college football? How would you uh, describe it? I can't remember. I said it would be really good for college football. be really good if the kind of the very first – the first foray into into actual free agency in college football, and it turns out a team like Wisconsin is the benefactor. And I know, I mean, you could you could make an argument now that U.S. a bad USC team getting Caleb Williams is good for college football because college football is good when USC is good. Um, and you know, I, I I guess I would entertain that argument. Um, no, I guess I don't. I doubt Wisconsin was ever in it. In fact, I doubt any other team was ever in this thing. Um, that's my feeling. I it's I just and maybe someone would have to explain to me I just I I really really do not believe that human beings make decisions like this I really don't think so um you don't go through all of that what what went on the last month just to pick USC in the end if if you were actually like actually looking around and seeing what was out there I, I just I don't I don't buy anything that comes from that dude's camp at all I just don't um, and that's why I said in the opening take, we're never going to know. We're never going to know. It's just a feeling. I just, they, the way that they operate is just not how human beings operate normally. And that is just weird to me. So no, I, I don't think, I don't think Wisconsin was ever a thing probably. I think there's a chance we could find out more information because I think what we've learned, at least I, I think what, I think what I've learned in the last handful of years, I mean, People love to talk about themselves and, and people love to put everything on social media and be all about themselves. And I think people generally have always been that way. Human beings are narcissists. 
It's just some people are better at, at covering it up than others, I think. And it's, it's, it's easier than ever to be a narcissist in 2022 with all of the ways that you can promote yourself and, and put everything out there on social media. And so my point is, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if somebody down the line is going to want to talk about this and explain the process. Granted, well, you know, whenever that happens, if it does happen, will it be the truth? Then you have to consider the source. I don't know. Uh, but I, I think it's possible that we do find out more information at some point. It's just probably not going to be until you know Caleb Williams is playing in the NFL somewhere, and, and maybe even even longer than that. So it's like one of those things where it's like you know maybe maybe this does turn out to be just like normal in college football, and this is something that there's a new cycle on this every single off season. Um, but where it stands right now is just not no. I mean this 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 whole that whole process sucked. It's not good for the sport. You know I, I just I don't. Um, I, I don't think it had any sort of positive impact on the sport really whatsoever. I mean, I think it's, but then again, that's, that's from my, my, that's from my vantage point. So I, there's just like, if, if that's where college football is going, it's not a good trend. It's not. Okay. The last thing about USC and Caleb Williams that I did want to touch on is one of our favorite guys in college football. One of our favorite college football analysts out there, Joe Klatt put out a tweet that a lot of people, especially people that follow Oklahoma very closely like we do, are rolling their eyes at. And I'll read the tweet here on the podcast just in case some of you have not seen it yet. Joel tweeted on Tuesday, with Caleb Williams at quarterback, USC will likely be a top 10 team and a solid dark horse pick for the college football playoff in 2022. College football has desperately needed West Coast slash Pac-12 relevance, and it seems we now have it. And he also added Lincoln Riley to make sure Lincoln saw the tweet. And Joel added to his tweet, quote, in the new era of portal, we should expect at least one and maybe two teams a year to execute large turnarounds. USC is the most likely candidate for 2022. Michigan State pulled this off last year, and they have used that momentum to recruit at a high level in tweet. And so I feel like... uh, and that second tweet, by the way, Grant, by Clack came like an hour later. So it almost makes me think like he saw that he was getting kind of semi-ratioed for his first tweet. So he feel like he needed to come in there and explain himself more, which is fine. That's understandable. I get it. Joe Clatt's a really smart guy. Dude knows college football. This might be, though, a scenario where, heck, he might be right. And we could just be totally wrong. But I think so far the evidence suggests, based on everything we know about Lincoln Riley and USC's roster and everything, I think the evidence suggests that 2022 USC being a top 10 team and a, and a dark horse playoff pick seems to be a, a bit of a stretch to keep it nice. Uh, so I, <laughs> I don't know. I again I. Klatt's not a guy that's going to tweet stuff just to, like, get people riled up. I think he's, he truly believes this. I mean, do you, do you agree that, that Klatt's a guy that, if he tweets something, he believes it? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, he, I think he believes it. I, you know, if you give him truth serum, I don't know if he, would, if he would say that he's doing this from, like, objective evidence. He's definitely doing it from his heart, for sure. He loves Lincoln Riley. Yeah, that's like, his. And so I, I, he's, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's, it's it's the same bit with Colin Coward. Colin Coward is so excited right now, and he doesn't his his, his emotions are getting are, are getting in the way of him being able to rationally analyze it. 
So yeah, and I was going to mention Cowherd as well, and I think you're exactly right. It's this has got to be part of his Lincoln Riley bias, and maybe partially part of his West Coast bias, clouding his judgment here. And you know what? To be fair, you could flip that totally around, and everything. And we've already acknowledged this on the show today. Everything that we say, kind of negative towards USC and Lincoln Riley, that he could accuse us of that being our our Oklahoma bias, and he he would be fair to do so. That's what's so interesting about this. Uh, is that I mean, there's a chance that you know one of us is 100% right about this, and the other person is totally wrong. There's also a chance that there's a lot of gray area here. And I don't know. In the a man. lot of Colin, ways, both like, of us are kind of right or wrong. Colin Cowherd will be wrong about this if USC is not a top three or top four program within the next two or three years. I mean, Cowherd oh, is thinks that, that he predicted? Cowherd thinks that USC is is like instantly going to be like like an SEC team. Like he thinks he thinks the Pete Carroll era is back, baby. Hmm. Well, I, if that's going to happen, as we've said over and over again, and we're, we've said it a lot more, obviously, in the last three months since Lincoln Riley has uh, left Oklahoma. If that's going to happen, he is going to have to evolve as a head coach, and and he's going to have to acknowledge things that he's not very good at that his teams have struggled on. And he's going to have to change them. And off the top of my head, the easy one is his inability to make in-game adjustments. He's not very good at that. Uh, his inability to really hone in on toughness and a, a culture of tough teams. Uh, you mentioned attention to detail. Uh, penalties have been issues at times. Uh, focus. And just like this, this entitlement uh, factor within his program. And look no further than... I love bringing it up because it's such an awesome example, and I will be using it forever and ever and ever when I talk about Lincoln Riley teams until he shows me that his teams are different and have changed. The 2021 Kansas game, guys, I, that's just that's the easiest thing to point to, man. Like a team that has that much talent can should just be able to show up and beat the doors off of any Kansas team from the last decade, really. That's what and that's that what they team thought. Almost for got sure. beat. That's what they thought. Yep, and that team almost got beat. And if it wasn't, I mean, it's not really ironic, but I was going to say ironically, not for Caleb Williams, who's not there anymore. Caleb Williams won that football game by stealing the ball away from Kennedy Brooks and picking up that first down and keeping that drive alive because if not, uh, Kansas's offense was not, I, I mean, here's, I think I said it on the podcast, though, just to be, again, fair. I think I did say on the podcast at some point around that time that, you know what, even if they wouldn't have, even if Oklahoma's defense came on the field there, they probably still would have found a way to get a stop there. They they always kind of seemed against those bad teams to like figure it out desperately. So they probably still would have figured out a way somehow to get off the field there and still win that game. But still, that's that's not the point. They <laughs> the fact that it was the fourth quarter and they almost lost that game to Kansas is it's an it's an easy thing to point to about a Lincoln Riley led team and how much of that was just him being one foot out the door in 2021 and kind of out of it. And you think when he goes to USC, he'll be totally engaged. And, you know, maybe that won't happen. Maybe he's going to be fully into it. And I can totally buy into that for the first couple of years, I guess, because I think he was fully engaged and totally into it in Oklahoma. Absolutely. Up until it would seem 2021 for whatever reason. So he'll have to change all that if, uh, if USC is going to get to that point that Colin Coward wants them to you know, in, in two or three years. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be rooting that he fails miserably. <laughs> I, 
I really and like, you're the you bring the fan perspective to this podcast. I'm you know I bring the 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 measured journalistic version of it to you know, to the podcast. But I will say just because it's fun, I will take my my journalist hat off for this moment and get into the more of the fan thought process. I'm with you. I I I hope they crash and burn too. I <laughs> I hope it doesn't work out. I hope it's a disaster. Uh, Caleb Williams hasn't really done anything to me. Like I totally understand. Like I, I don't really wish any will ill on Caleb Williams. But here's the thing: Caleb Williams could be awesome the next two years, and USC still could be uh, an eight and four, nine and three team. <laughs> I mean, and not, not you know not be a national contender. So I, I don't really wish any ill will on Caleb Williams. I don't or Mario Williams. It's it's more just. I mean. Yeah, I, I think it would be fun to see. I'm sorry, like Lincoln Riley to see him kind of fail and it kind of blow up into his face and kind of his philosophy just not he kind of like going to somebody other than Oklahoma, his philosophy not working. Because and kind of and to think, you know, in, in hindsight, best case scenario for us in this podcast and Oklahoma fans, five years from now, if, if USC is kind of just a middling, you know, that, yeah, maybe they're competing for the Pac-12, but they're not really going anywhere. They're kind of plateaued. We like, well, that's kind of what we saw at Oklahoma, but Oklahoma's a better program, so they were making playoffs. You know, they were winning the Big 12. And, you know, that's, that's our best-case scenario for our perspective. Obviously, though, that's us looking through a biased lens, and I will acknowledge that. Yeah, you know, I just uh, – it's – it would be very delicious if that was, you know, if, it, if, if the narrative turned out to be that when, uh, when Lincoln Riley left, he was actually doing OU a favor, and that was, you know – of course, I mean that is very you know that's that it's not gonna happen. That's it's 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 not gonna it's not gonna work out that cleanly. Um, be pretty sweet if it did though. <laughs> well said, well said. All right, let's move on. One brief thing I did want to touch on. I, again, we're not gonna. I, I, do you have any signing day stuff that, that you want to talk about? Because I don't. I don't have anything. I, I, I just don't. O- okay. Other than what Brent Venables did to to salvage the signing class and uh to to sign this is going to be a top 10 class that's really impressive that is something that and so like one of the things that i was worried about immediately after lincoln riley left was recruiting i was just like i mean say what you want about how this 2021 season looked and how the team looked pre- you know prepared or didn't look prepared the recruiting absolutely had been elevated you know under you know for ou under lincoln riley and Let's just say to this point, I've been so encouraged by Brent Venables recruiting up to this point. I don't want OU to go to the SEC anymore. <laughs> I'd much prefer them to stay in the Big Twelve if they can still recruit this way. Um, so I, I'm I'm happy about that, and still I'm just I'm I'm ecstatic um, that that Jaron Canick is part is part of the class is on campus is there. Like I said, I think he's the best player in the class, um, and I think they have. And I, I'm not the first person who said this, but. Um, you know, Robert Spears Jennings has just absolutely exploded in the last couple of months. Um, he he dominated the Under Armour All American game. was was dominating five star receivers lined up in front of him. Um, and I, you know, like I already said, I'm I'm so excited for Jaden Rowe. Um, you know, so I I think just the three guys that they got in the back seven of the defense with Canick Rowe and Robert Spears Jennings, I I think that is a foundational class of guys that they got there. I'm really excited for them. And two of those players are defensive players, and you get extra All of those players are defensive them. players. All of them are. Didn't you mention – I thought you mentioned uh, – Oh, who am I thinking? Oh, I, I thought you mentioned the, the big receiver. 
Uh, yeah, you know, Jaden. Yeah, Jaden Gibson is, is part of that too. But Gibson, I'm, you know, sorry. it's yeah, and and I really liked Gibson too. I'm I'm more. I'm just I'm specifically talking about Canick, Spears, Jennings, and Jaden Rowe. Okay, no, that's that's my fault. Yep, you you did, and so you were focusing on the defense. Okay, you're right, and. I was, I guess I was going to put a point on it. Yeah, that we can be even more excited than maybe we were the last couple of years because of Brent Venables and this defensive staff they're putting together. I just think it's, it's a lot more fair for us to be very encouraged by it and think that they could be developed into better players than the previous regime developed defensive guys, considering we, have, we had evidence. We had a couple of years of evidence of the way they developed guys, and some guys were developed well, but others left a lot to be desired and we'll see who else they bring in for the class tomorrow uh, I did want to mention because we talked about this guy I don't know whenever it was maybe it was in, in December I don't know it was whenever the the Texas high school state playoffs were going on and we brought up a kid at the end of a, a podcast I think it was the end of a podcast named I believe it's pronounced Koi Aiken it's either Koi Aiken or Koi Eakin and you know if you guys are big fans of this podcast you may remember us talking about this kid and at the time, Grant, you had pointed out that you were watching Texas high school state championship stuff because I think you were bored one day. And you're like, yeah, I'll just check this out. And this, you notice this one kid just absolutely dominating a state title game in class 4A from Stephenville. And then you showed me some highlights of the guy. And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that kid's really, really good. Uh, like six, like six two, six three. I mean, 192. I don't know. I mean, and just doing everything you need to do as a receiver, just dominating. And we looked him up, or you looked him up, and he had no Division One offers. This guy named Koi Aiken. And you and I were just like, okay, again, not recruiting experts. And we made that very clear. And that was one of the pieces of evidence that you and I pointed to. Like, okay, this is why we're not recruiting experts, because we see this guy. Granted, it's a small sample size. But you look at his numbers. I think he had the most receiving yards in all of the nation. He had the best, <laughs> he had he had like the best, he had the best numbers of any receiver in all of high school football this year. Right. And he's playing in Texas. He's not at the highest class of Texas football, but 4A is nothing to sneeze at. There's a lot of good players in 4A Texas high school football. I'll tell you that. Uh, and so you see his numbers. You see some of the film. It backs up. This guy's really good. No D1 offers. We were just like, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why this guy. And then, of course, after that game happened, he started to get some more off. He started to get some offers, I believe. You know, some FCS schools came in. Uh, then I want to say like Eastern Washington. I guess that's an FCS. School. Western Kentucky Washington State. Was the Western Kentucky? That's right. So Western Kentucky came in, group of five. And anyway, so with signing day coming up tomorrow, I just in my head, it, it for some I was thinking, oh, I wonder where this Koi, I wonder where this Koi Aiken guy is going to go because he was a senior. He's and I looked it up today, and he just in the last couple of days he committed to Texas Tech. So this guy, after we were just questioning, why is this guy not getting offers? I guess he ended up getting an offer from TCU, Washington State. I'm probably missing a couple other schools there. So teams did come in, and now he's going to go to Texas Tech. And I know OU's going to the SEC. I don't know when Oklahoma's going to the SEC. But uh, we're going to get, you know, because we're going to, like college football, we're going to watch the Big 12. Big 12 schools are going to get an up-close-and-personal look to see if you and I are just the greatest recruiting minds out there or if we don't know what we're talking about and this guy ends up just becoming depth for texas tech and never becoming a thing i'm super interested to see where this this guy's career goes because what we saw from him what he did in, in high school was incredible and i was going to texas tech with got you know they got uh, mcguire there new head coach 
I don't know what their system's going to be. I don't know what they're going to do offensively, but I know there's a lot of positive vibes surrounding Texas Tech. I'm curious to watch this dude's career. Same, same. You know, I mean, I don't really have much to add other than the guy. I mean, the guy was utterly dominant, utterly, utterly dominant, had D1 size in that game already. Um, yeah, I just, I, it, I could not believe he didn't have a single, I mean, much less a power five, he didn't have a FBS offer. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm right there. I, I think Texas Tech is about to go through another probably pretty good period in their program. I think, I, I, I think they hit it. They, they hit it kind of out of the park with Joey McGuire. And I don't know if this is true. I just kind of was looking at some circumstantial potential evidence I think he he may have gone to Tech. Tech may have had a spot open up for him in the last couple of days because I, I think the timeline might align along with Gavin Freeman, who is a, a stud that goes to Heritage Hall here in Oklahoma City, a player that you mentioned, I think you brought up on this podcast at some point because you saw some of his tape and you're like, why is this guy not getting more publicity here in, in Oklahoma? And he was a kid that was committed to Texas Tech. But I believe it was on Saturday, Gavin Freeman tweeted out that he had uh, accepted a preferred walk-on to go to OU. And so I don't know if that then triggered Texas Tech to go and say, hey, we got this spot open for you, Koi Aiken, come here. I don't know. Or maybe it's coincidence. I don't know. But it's just kind of interesting that, uh, you know, a player that you mentioned briefly, again, not a recruiting podcast, but every once in a while, if somebody stands out, you know, you'll bring them up or I'll bring them up. And that was a kid that, that you noticed or you heard of and now he's going to OU as a preferred walk-on and so like I, I'm curious to see if, if that's a guy that can be utilized at his time at Oklahoma I mean Drake Stoops is a walk-on player from the Oklahoma City type area out of Norman North and now he's become one of Oklahoma's best receivers <laughs> yeah you know I'm um you know curious that they you know if they wanted him as a PWO and not a uh you know they're they're not they're not going to give him a scholarship, but obviously I'm sure they're going to they'll give him an opportunity to earn one. Um, but yeah, he, well, he's Drake just a guy. One. Yeah, he's a guy who I saw, and you know he, he plays plays in Oklahoma. He's another guy who has dominant tape, a guy who I mean, he has dominant numbers as well. And it's just one of those things where it's just like, hey, you know, I understand he doesn't really have the measurables that a lot of schools are looking for, especially like a P5 team like OU a lot of the time. But he's one of those guys who is just such a good high school player um, that it's just it'd be a shame if OU let him go out of their backyard and he goes on and is, is a really good player somewhere else. Um, so I mean, it's, this is great. It looks like it's a kind of a win-win for OU. They don't even have to you know use a scholarship on the guy. Um, I personally thought that he he's a scholarship type player when I was watching him. Um, OU brass thinks otherwise. Uh, I am glad that he's going to be at OU though, because like, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty easy for me to see that guy catching on somewhere else, and then OU three years down the line is just kind of kicking themselves for not even having that guy on the roster. One of those things. It's like, you I mean, I, I understand, I understand measurables and stuff like that. I I really do think that they should have spots on every recruiting class that are reserved for guys like that, guys like this, where it's just like you just you. Just, I get it. He's not big. He's not a huge guy. He doesn't have the 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 athletic profile that you're that you're looking for. But dude's a really good football player. Is dominant in high school football in Oklahoma. Get him on your team and see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, then you can go somewhere else. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you, and I'm sure a lot of people already know this, but I'll just bring it up just because it's a good way to end the conversation talking about Gavin Freeman, Heritage Hall kid, the you know the big. 
name out of Heritage Hall that you know is didn't have a whole lot of you know recruiting publicity coming out years ago was Wes Welker, and Wes Welker ended up going to Texas Tech, and the rest is history, man. I mean, he's <laughs> I guess. Is Wes Welker one of the best receivers ever? I mean, I I don't know if he's like a Hall of Fame of all type time? player, yes. but yeah, he is. I mean, like yeah, not okay. like I mean, like not in the city. Like he's not Jerry Rice, but like yeah, I mean, he was he was probably he was a top ten receiver in the NFL for three or four seasons. That's I would consider that one of the best ever, relatively and speaking. So, and and you're right. And and point being with Wes Welker is to your point a second ago. He's a guy that was right in Oklahoma's backyard. And he went out of state, and he became great. And he was also a player where you look at him; he's he's little, he's five nine, you know, whatever whatever he was in high school, he's probably like a buck sixty or something, maybe even less in high school. So he's probably a player where it's like, yeah, Oklahoma doesn't look at guys that size. Okay, he he went to Texas Tech, and then he ends up being a great, a really great college player and a great NFL player. And so now Oklahoma, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that Kevin Freeman's going to be Wes Welker, but it's just a situation where, hey. This guy's a really good football player. He showed it in high school, and he's right in your backyard. Give him a shot. See what happens. And I think that's your point, and we'll see how that plays out. Let's look now back at the 2021 big season preview, the moment you've all been waiting for. If you want to figure out if we were morons in August or if we were super smart and a little bit of both. And so here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to to pull out some sound bites from that episode. I wanted to pull out our best predictions each and our worst predictions each because I think it'd be kind of funny to look back on. But today I was going through and I went all through this and I wrote stuff down. I got tons of notes. But I'll be honest with you. I, it wasn't as engaging or interesting as I hoped it would be <laughs> to like pull back the old sound. And I was like, eh, you know what? I don't think we need it. I don't think we need it. Because there really wasn't, I mean, it was difficult for me to find a really bad prediction. Granted, I guess technically you kind of had one, <laughs> but it was, an easy, like, it was a prediction that a lot of people had. So I'm not really holding it against you that much. And for me, like I had a, one or two, but they weren't like horrible. And I thought like some of our best predictions were actually pretty good. Uh, but I mean, people, I mean, best predictions, that's kind of whatever. So I didn't pull any sound. We'll just kind of go over it. And so, well, I have like a, 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 a one loss ranking or I, I don't know, like how many we got right, how many we got wrong. And, uh, I'll tell you guys that at the end, but I'll just say I, I did better than you, Grant. I, I, I had more wins than losses and, uh, you had, uh, you were, you were close to 500, put it that way. Yeah, I was, I was picking games at like 70% clip this year. You can. Now uh, you can take the preseason prediction win if you want. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good rebuttal. Uh, yeah. How much money did you make off those picks, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like like three hundred bucks when I was in Colorado. That's pretty much it. Yeah, okay. uh, and a, another that's pretty good. Another hundy on the bowl games too, I guess. Okay, well that's more than I made. Crap. Okay, fine, fair enough. So uh, we'll we'll start at the very top, and we both predicted who Oklahoma's leading rusher would be, and this is where I would describe. As, as your worst prediction. But, it's not, I mean, it was a 50-50 shot. It was Eric Gray or Kennedy Brooks. And you said Eric Gray. And, you know, the reason why I guess it would qualify as technically your worst is because you were saying things like, you know, you expected him to have easily more total yards than Kennedy Brooks because of his pass-catching skills, which at the time 
What a crazy thing to say. I mean, we thought he would be a big part of the offense. And then you also said there was a chance that Eric Gray, because of his usage, could put up All-American type numbers, which in hindsight is crazy because uh, Eric Gray finished with the uh, third most rushing yards on the team. <laughs> and he finished with 641 total yards from scrimmage. Uh, his, his pass catching usage 23 catches for only 229 yards. Uh, he only had 412 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Eric Gray only had 412 yards rushing and only two rushing touchdowns. Uh, I said Kennedy Brooks, um, and Kennedy Brooks obviously was the top leading rusher. He had 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns. Uh, but I will say, though, Grant, to your credit, you did say that Kennedy Brooks probably is going to have 1,000 yards rushing and average six yards per carry. And I believe he did. I guess I didn't write down how many yards per carry he averaged, but I think he averaged. So, I mean, he did what Kennedy Brooks does. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I got that one right. You got it wrong. But in the preseason, it wasn't crazy to think Eric Gray would have a, a much bigger role. I thought he would. I mean, he was – I'm pretty sure Eric Gray still started, like, every game at running back this year. Still started a lot. Like, I mean, it was um, – yeah, he, he, he didn't start in the Alamo Bowl. But um, I mean, starting. But we've established starting doesn't really matter in Lincoln Riley's offense because he. Another thing that's stupid. Then, another yeah, thing that's stupid. The next series, you could be out. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, so, obviously, yeah. I mean, huge miss, huge miss on Eric Gray. Everyone missed on Eric Gray. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't recall saying anything about all American numbers. But yeah, in hindsight, that's freaking stupid. Uh, <laughs> um, I could have pulled a huge. Better. He, uh, he was a uh, he was a huge disappointment this year. Him and Wanye Morris, two just massive, massive disappointments. Wow, yeah. He, uh, I will say, talking about running back, like, uh, there's another category, I think, or no, may, maybe I just put this in the notes, but we were talking about uh, Trey Bradford. <laughs> At the time, we were talking about how Trey Bradford, I think one of our subcategories is like, hey, who do you think is going to have the most impact outside of Brooks and Gray? And we were both like, yeah, Trey Bradford. And that podcast came out on August 24th. Two days later, Bradford was gone. I will. Another random note about the running back discussion is that during the big season preview, we were talking about former Oklahoma running back Abdul Adams. And we both wished him very well this past year at Syracuse. Because he was still at Syracuse. He was still playing. I guess because he had, I think he had opted out of the COVID year, didn't play. Well, I looked back at the numbers. It turns out that uh, our buddy Abdul only got 13 carries this past year. And uh, a sophomore running back at Syracuse named Sean Tucker <laughs> ended up breaking the Syracuse single-season rushing record. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Abdul Adams, man. He, he, he's gonna, he, he always says that, that record-breaking run at Oklahoma, 99 yards against Baylor. Oh, yeah, he had, that, he had the 99-yarder against Baylor and then just, like, I mean – effectively was just never heard from ever again man it his downfall came i believe it's all started against ohio state when he fumbled and he got benched and it was kind of granted i guess the baylor game came after the that, baylor game happened yeah. after but yeah i mean i thought so too it's it just yeah. yeah yeah all right so the next category was leading pass catcher and you know what i think technically we got this wrong, you and I, because we, we both guessed Marvin Mims. But I think we're gonna give it. We're, we're gonna give it to us because Marvin Mims led Oklahoma in receiving yards. I mean, that's what yards. we mean. That's what we mean. 
Well, leading pass catcher, you, you, you know, normally you think the guy that has the most catches also has the most yards, but didn't happen that way. I mean, he had the most yards. He had 705 yards, five touchdowns, only 32 catches. Only 32. The top, uh, there's three players above Marvin Mims. Hazelwood, 39. Mike Woods, 35. Mario Williams with 35. Grant, you actually predicted his exact numbers. You, you predicted Marvin Mims' exact stats. And you said, you predicted that Marvin Mims would have 56 catches, 902 yards, and nine touchdowns in, in the regular season. And, uh, I mean, I guess the closest you got, yardage. You were 200 yards away from getting his yards right. Uh, if he would have had 56 catches, he would have gone way over 705, I'll tell you that. <laughs> So, I mean, that's how, that's how dialed in you were back in August, man. You were predicting exact numbers. I thought, hey, I, you know, thought a lot about that, you know, this season before it started. Big t- like, a lot. Which is why, which is why it was so disappointing that it, it, just, it, yeah. did not, it did not match expectations for anybody. I mean, not a, not a single soul expected what happened this season. Yeah, well, and I had a, uh, you know, I made the case for another guy that, in hindsight, was a terrible, terrible call. But at the time, I didn't think it was that bad of a case. I made the case for Austin Stogner <laughs> to be Oklahoma's leading pass catcher. Uh, he had 14 grabs for 166 and three touchdowns. So uh, and basically, I did- Austin Stogner, his whole thing in 2020 was all about him and, him and uh, Rattler, I think, in hindsight. Yeah. So yeah, that was I mean, off. I don't. Did I say anything about Stogner now? Because like, you know, I mean, I've I've always kind of been a Stogner skeptic, ever since he's gotten hurt. Yeah, no, you have. If you did, I didn't make a note of it, so it it was probably very similar to what you had always said about him. All right, over to leading tackler, and you were very confident, Grant. It was going to be Delarian Turner Yell, very confident. Because and the reasoning for that is because he's going to play the most snaps. You said he's going to play the most snaps. Well, it kind of he he was injured, so he only played nine of thirteen games. He averaged five point eight tackles per game. By the way, DTY finished fourth on the team with fifty three tackles, so it wasn't DTY. If he would have played a full season, though, he might have been the leading tackler. So that wasn't too crazy of a prediction because, like, you're on the right track. You predicted a DB, and a DB actually led the team, tied for the team leading tackles with Brian Asamoah, Pat Fields. They each had 20. Asamoah and Fields, I'm sorry, 80. Sorry, 80 tackles. Asamoah and Fields each had 80. I predicted that Asamoah would lead the team in tackles. So, got that one right. Also, uh, uh, I yeah, also predicted that. Pat Deshaun- yourself on the back for that one, man. Really went out on a limb there. <laughs> I know, I know. I also said that I thought Deshaun White would get a lot more uh, a lot more play this year, and he was third on the team with 60 tackles. So, boom, yeah. That was pretty easy, though. Uh, yeah, so again, like, if you just would have gone with Pat Fields, boom, you'd have nailed it. Over to the sacks. And, I mean, we both got this one right. Sacks leader, that was easy. Nick Benito. Uh, I made the case for Jalen Redmond. By the way, Benito only had seven sacks. Uh, that he, needed, he needed more than that. But that led the team. Uh, I made the case for Jalen Redmond. And then I, I did say that a dark horse was Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas tied with Benito for the lead with seven sacks. And uh, this was Dude, one man, of the... Isaiah Thomas had like a... Isaiah Thomas just had his... 
His inner Theo Weiss came out this year. If he could just finish some of those oh. sacks, he could have had like 14 or 15. He just finished. That's funny. That's funny. So this, uh, this topic also led you to ask the question, Grant. <laughs> you asked the question, can Oklahoma's defense get to 60? 60 Shut up. Sacks. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> you, you know how many sacks you had? I had like 31, didn't they, or something like that? They had 33. Yeah. So here's the thing, though. Nobody got to 60 last year. Uh, 60 was a pretty, a pretty ambitious number. Alabama was number one, 57. Uh, Oklahoma State, 56. Oklahoma State's defense, man. That, I mean, that was the defense of Oklahoma right there. Good for them. Uh, you also asked the question, is it reasonable for Oklahoma to average more than T, uh, sorry, 10 TFLs per game? Uh, Oklahoma averaged just short of 7.5 TFLs per game. And, so I think it was, uh, realistic to, it was realistic to think that they could have done that. Well, uh, let me just, hey, nobody, Isaiah Thomas just doesn't miss a tackle this year. They'll probably have like 13 or 14 per game. <laughs> okay, that's, that's true. That's true. It was a joke. Uh, it's a joke, everyone. Uh, nationally, uh, nationally, nobody, nobody in college football averaged more than ten per game. Uh, actually, Oklahoma State led the nation, eight point three. So yeah, hey, but with Brent Venables here, though, Grant, I think Oklahoma's going to get to sixty sacks and, and ten per game TFLs. Calling it right now. This year in twenty in twenty twenty two, in in, this, in spring ball in in spring practice. Uh, yeah, let's see. Okay, so this is like that. That was easily quantifiable stuff. Then we got to the stuff where it was more opinion. You know, we asked, who's going to be the most important offensive player besides Spencer Rattler? <laughs> and so, I mean, okay, the correct answer of this obviously ended up being Caleb Williams, but like nobody was going to predict that at the time. So there is no way we're going to get this one right. Uh, your prediction was two guys. You said Jaden Hazelwood and Anton Harrison. So uh, in hindsight, what do you think about that prediction? Do you, I mean, do you think... Like, do you think that was pretty solid? Like, I don't know. This is one of those, like, it's, just, it's an opinion question. I think if, well, it depends on how it turned out. Like, it it didn't turn out to be true. But, yeah, I mean, if, if Jaden Hazelwood and Anton Harrison would have been way better this year, they OU, OU's offense probably would have been a lot better. Yeah, probably. Yeah, and I said, I said the running back group, uh, Brooks and Gray, and it was all because of health, because of lack of depth. I think if and you... they both stayed healthy. And I think if you're, I think if you just, if if you just take quarterback out of the equation here, you, it, it's probably the answer probably is Kennedy Brooks. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're right. He was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kennedy Brooks good was, call. Kennedy Brooks. Like, I mean, if you want to take just like, if you only want to include just like effectiveness and whoever, like Kennedy Brooks was the best player on the team this year. Like, I, I mean, that was he was, he he just was. All right, and then we asked who was going to be the most important defensive player, and this is this can qualify as maybe my worst prediction. I was trying to think outside of the box. Uh, I'll start with you though, because I mean, you probably got this one right. You said Nick Benito. The question, like, is that the correct answer? Is Nick Benito the most important defensive player? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You think he was? Like, I sure. Like, I yeah, you're probably right. I I mean. I think he played every game. I don't remember him missing really any time, so there's not really any way to quantify that. But I mean, he led the team in sacks. You could He's also really say it was. 
You could say it was Woody Washington also. Oh, yeah, that's true. He could be the answer as well. It could be both even those though, guys. But even though, like, when he even got in there, it's like he wasn't like great in the games that he played. So, like, I mean, it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I said the most important defensive player was going to be Key Lawrence. <laughs> Uh, and so my reasoning was because I, I just I wanted a more talented, flashy player back at safety that could potentially help Oklahoma separate and be more dynamic. And I mean, it, he was an important guy. He turned out being kind of a Swiss Army knife type player, and he helped a lot at corner. So like it wasn't a total miss, but he wasn't the most important defensive player on the team. But he ended up be, you know, being a factor. So I was happy about that. The next category was. We asked who's going to be the sleeper impact player on offense, but not including any, uh, any true freshman. And so this was kind of a difficult one. Grant, you said Braden Willis. But to your credit, you also considered Drake Stoops. And I think the answer to this question is probably what? Drake Stoops, most underrated. Uh, probably, yeah, it's probably Drake Stoops. Uh, I, said, I said two guys. The tandem of Trevon West and Brian Darby. I mean, Brian Darby's got a touchdown against Bedlam. I mean, season long, yeah, I guess he wasn't really much of an impact player, but uh, I think Drake Stoops is probably the right answer for that one. So you were probably closer to that than me. Sleeper impact defensive player, not including freshmen. Also, I'm kind of curious. I think I sent you this this document. Would it be interesting if I asked you who you thought you guessed? Do you remember who you thought you picked? Uh, Sleeper I, impact I, defensive player. I don't remember, no. He actually picked two guys. Did I pick Pat Fields as one of them? Right, uh, right position group. You picked uh, DTY and also Jaden Davis, both. I picked Reggie Grimes. And I think the, like, the correct answer to this it's got to be Justin Broyles, right? Yeah, definitely. He had 53 tackles, four TFLs. Because I don't think anybody, even going into the season, I don't think anybody outside of me in the last like two weeks of the preseason when the coaches were all but telling you, yeah, Justin Broyles is going to play. Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't think anyone expected Justin Broyles to be really a factor on this team whatsoever, much less right. play as many snaps as he did. Yeah, he ended up becoming a starter at nickel for a, he's, a large He's back, of the baby. Year. He's back. He's back for year six. And he's back. And he's back. So, yeah, I went with Grimes. You went with Jaden Davis, DTY. Uh, and, I mean, DTY, I mean, he was good. But I, I don't – I can't remember why you said he was a sleeper because, I mean, he's a returning starter. Maybe because I – think, I think if I remember I – didn't, I didn't write notes down. But I think if I remember right, you were saying, like, man, no one's really talking about Delarian Turneriel. He's like a three – three-year starter like he's a good player like no one's talking about him so I'm just gonna throw him in there I think that's kind of what your rationale was and yeah I mean he had a good year he was really good he was one of the best defensive backs I would say at Oklahoma all right then we asked offensively a true freshman impact player this was the easiest one we both got this one we both got it right we both said Mario Williams but obviously Caleb Williams is also in there as well so that's an easy one we both got that one right this next one, we both got this one wrong. We both had the same answer. True freshman impact defensive player. And both of us predicted Billy Bowman. At the time, we, we had heard we knew he was going to be the starting nickel 
How would you not guess Billy Bowman? The correct answer, though, Grant, who would you say? I wrote it down. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Say. I don't know. True freshman impact defensive player? Stutzman. Was it Stutzman? I mean, it's not like, yeah, I mean, he was, but it's not like he was, like, great or anything. Stutzman, 37 tackles, one and a half TFLs, had a sack against Texas. I'd say honorable mention was Ethan Downs. I'd say I would actually pick Downs in there, not Stutzman. Downs okay. played more consistently, played more of a role on the defense than Stutzman did. Downs, 14 tackles, three TFLs, and a half sack. So he had more TFLs than Stutzman did. Curious, curious to see what sort of jump he makes. He was a guy who, I mean, geez, I mean, like a lot of guys on the defensive line who seemed like would win a lot of one-on-ones or would do his job really well, but it never really, you know, turned into a lot of production number-wise. So I'm I'm curious to see kind of what what he looks like next. He's he's a guy I wouldn't be surprised if, if if he takes like a massive physical jump too. He's a guy who kind of already physically looked the part, but still looked like a true freshman at the same time. And uh, wouldn't be surprised if he if he takes a huge step. He, he's a guy who I'm really I'm kind of circling him to see what he does in the off season. Yeah, this is the the part where there's so much unknown surrounding Oklahoma, especially on defense. But we all assume it's going to be great because of Brent Venables and the staff. So the fact that we don't know I'm not know assuming yet, it's going to be great. You've, my, well, I, I I've given my thoughts quite a bit since then. Okay, fine. Well, I assume it's going to be great. And until we know otherwise, I'm going to keep assuming that. And that's what make, you know, makes me so excited about players, like you said, like Ethan Downs and, and uh, Reggie Grimes. These are two players that are, I think, uh, got great size, athletic, got a motor. And I, I think... I think they're going to be heady, kind of smart type players too. Uh, but I guess we'll find out as time goes on. So that was all we had for individual stuff. Now we're going to get into the, the more team-centric and then Big 12 and national stuff. And th- so this is – we actually did pretty good on this stuff. The next category was identify Oklahoma's trap game. Grant, you said Oklahoma's trap game? West Virginia on September 25th. And uh, you said on the podcast that it fits into the home loss that comes out of nowhere category. You also, uh, Grant, on the podcast said that you had sirens going off for that Nebraska game. All right. Both of those games uh, came down to the wire. Oklahoma could have lost both those games. So I think you were, I think you pretty much nailed that. Um, I said that I, I didn't think Oklahoma had a true trap game. But if I had to pick one, I said West Virginia. So you're on the same page there. Uh, and then I said maybe TCU because it's, because it's after Texas. I think the TCU game they they rolled TCU, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they got. Like I mean, the, yeah, they they were up by double digits pretty much the entire game. Oh, but that was the game where uh, who's the TCU's great wide receiver ended up just Quentin Johnson going for like yeah. 300 yards. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The the, yeah. the defense was was pretty bad, but that was you know that was that was Caleb's first start and he was excellent. So, yeah, I think you pretty much nailed the trap game. I think honorable mention trap games. Nebraska is one of them. You're on that. Kansas. <laughs> uh, Tulane. Tulane ended up being a trap game. Uh, and I got to give credit to West of Everest listener, Harry, the hype man. Harry, you messaged us before the big season preview, and you predicted that Baylor was the trap game. And, I mean, they lost the Baylor game. I, the reason why I think Baylor wasn't a trap game that we kind of thought it would be is because it was coming after a bye. 
and they were going to be super focused on Baylor. And honestly, going back, the way the season played out, Oklahoma was undefeated, so it wasn't really – and Baylor was really good. Baylor ended up being good, so I don't think they were looking past Baylor – but in the preseason, I understand that being a trap game. And technically, Harry, you were right. They lost. That was their first loss. So, in a way, I guess yeah, I Harry might I, I doubt me. they were overlooking Baylor. They just ran into a team that is that is better prepared day in and day out than they are. Period. All right, the next category in the big season preview, as we look back at our predictions from August of 2021, we asked, what's Oklahoma's worst-case scenario this year? <laughs> So here's what I, uh, I wrote down notes for what you said, Grant. You said, quote, it's apparent Oklahoma has not uh, – this is, this is their worst-case scenario, that we're watching the games, and it's apparent that Oklahoma has not made the quote-unquote jump that we're all expecting. Like Clemson in the ACC jump. Oklahoma is still struggling with K-State on the road, giving up chunk plays to average offenses. The offense can't put teams away in the second half. Basically, if this team looks like it did in 2019, you went on to say if Spencer Rattler gets hurt, this is you know worst case scenario. If Rattler gets hurt and misses significant time, uh, it probably hurts the national title hopes. But you did say, Grant, that you thought Caleb Williams could come in and probably help win the Big 12. So what do you think? I mean, you I mean, obviously, I the pretty worst much case scenario. That. Yeah, I pretty much nailed that, didn't I? I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, when you said, uh, you know, struggling with teams like K-State on the road, <laughs> you know, the offense not putting teams away, defense giving up chunk plays. Yeah, we saw that. <laughs> we saw that. Well, I think, yeah, uh, I mean, then, the yeah. the operative words there saying it, it's, it's apparent while watching them that they just haven't made the step. And I think what everyone could say, especially in, the, in that, that September watching them, is when everyone kind of started to panic thinking like, oh, no, they just don't have any juice. They like they don't look that interested. They, they like I don't know what they were doing, but a, a step certainly has not been made. Yeah, and we kept trying to talk ourselves into it, like oh, you know, they're gonna figure it out. And I mean, they were trying to talk us into it by what they were saying in the media. And it just comes down to they played a really really easy schedule. <laughs> they played a really easy schedule and got lucky that you know they they won as many games as they did. Uh, as, as for me, when I was saying the worst case scenario, I said the worst case uh, scenario record wise was something like nine and three. Uh, there'd be a you know running back injuries that would be be bad uh, and which would lead to Oklahoma's offense being one dimensional, which would then leave Spencer Rattler trying to beat teams on his own and he can't figure it out. Uh, but I also added that I don't think a Rattler injury is worst case scenario because Caleb Williams could save Oklahoma season. I said that in the big season preview. So we were both kind of on the, on the, the, the I was on that Caleb. Caleb it was, it was a guy. He just looked, well, we both saw him in the spring game and we both just thought he looked special <laughs> in the spring game. Yeah. He played um, better than Spencer Rattler. He, yeah. He looked, I mean, and it's like, I mean, that's not, that's now that's not a crazy observation because we now know in fact that Caleb Williams is better than Spencer Rattler. Yeah, and unfortunately, there was rumors in fall camp that people were seeing that too back then. But you know, you got Spencer Rattler; he's the Heisman favorite. Uh, he's not going to get he's not going to get his job taken. It's just not going to happen by a true freshman. Uh, okay, so I think I, I wrote down what I think is the correct answer to this, though. <laughs> what actually happened? 
Uh, the correct answer is that the head coach has one foot out the door and the defense goes through a stretch in the middle of the year where they're playing worse than the 2018 defense. That was the worst case scenario for Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, but oh yeah, I mean, it was. But really, though, I mean, like, couldn't you couldn't you fold that into this me saying like it just looks like they haven't taken the step because. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's all the same. But yeah, it's it was I, I thought it was this was. It's crazy. I, I'm grateful that you know I'm I'm the fan of a of a team that worst case scenario season is them going 11 and two. Um, but this was, I mean, in in the context of what was expected of this team, how the season played out was was worst case scenario. It's almost it was almost like even in that nine and zero start when they were when they were just um, you know living by the seat of their pants and they were just they were winning so many close games, it was almost just like. This is terrible. This is not even fun to watch. <laughs> it's like from our perspective, it's just like this isn't even they're nine and zero. But yeah, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season that oh, you would have been nine and zero going into their bowl game, but you would have only had fun watching one of their nine games, I would have been like, oh my god, wait, what does that on. what does that mean? Wait, what did you so if if they were nine and zero going into the Baylor game, is that what you yeah? Would say? And and somebody would have told me the only game I would have enjoyed watching was the Texas game. I would have been like, one, what does that even mean? And and like, <laughs> and two, just like, oh god. So yeah, because that's no, how it was. Because it was it there was that nine and zero there, and of course there was still, and I was on there. There was still that hope that they would turn things around and be the team that we thought they were. That's going to be one of the the everlasting lessons of this season. In September, a lot of the times, the, the team tells you who they are immediately. Um, I there, of course, there are well, examples of teams that that get better as the year goes on and and turn into a juggernaut. That's not that doesn't happen very often, though. Well, I was going to say maybe that's not a Lincoln Riley trait, or if it if it is a Lincoln Riley trait, the team has to lose a game because. We gave him a lot of credit in 2020 for coming back down, you know, down one and two and and getting better and playing better football. Uh, 2019, I suppose, after the Kansas State game, uh, I think. No, they were played better. I mean, they were sketchy as hell. The the rest and after the K-State game. Yeah, maybe maybe 2017. Then after Iowa State. I guess maybe they, I don't know if they got better. It was after um, in 2017. It was after Bedlam. They killed everybody after Bedlam. So yeah, maybe that that's a great point though. I mean, at least with the Lincoln Riley team, I, I don't know. I mean, or or at least if we can identify before the season begins, is this a year where Lincoln Riley has one foot out the door, or is he fully bought in? I, I, that could be a a, a just a, a perfect a thing we need to know as well. Can't talk. Every Lincoln Riley team at OU has been it has been sketchy at least in one area, like really sketchy, <laughs> like to where like. Whether or not it's just it's the defense sucking and just giving up a ton of big plays, or it's the the penalties, or it's just kind of like the coverage busts. Um, yeah, there's there's something about them that's always just very sketchy. Or until you know it, until 2021, that wasn't really an issue on offense. But in 2021, then the offense playing poorly at times was the first time with Riley calling the plays where it was like consistent, where the offense would even with Caleb Williams, Iowa State. Baylor, I mean, those are games where they, I mean, they won the Iowa State game, but the offense was, was bad, sketchy, it was bad. Yeah. All right. How about Oklahoma's best case scenario? We predicted that. 
And Grant, you said, best case scenario for Oklahoma in 2021 is that Jaden Hazelwood is healthy and as advertised. Mike Woods is a big play threat. Anton Harrison is the next great left tackle at Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler makes the jump. Eric Gray is the most explosive running back since Joe Mixon. Nick Benito and the rest of the D-line take that step as well. The DBs become big play machines and force turnovers. And you compared Oklahoma, best case scenario, to the 2013 Florida State team that ended up going on to win the national championship. So I read you back your comments from that. Uh, what, what comes to mind? I mean, I agree. That would have been their best case scenario. <laughs> Just yeah. it didn't didn't happen. None of it. Like I'm saying, nobody got better. No one on the team got better. I'm sure someone yeah, did. Kennedy Brooks was, you know, maybe the best yeah, offensive sorry. player outside of Kennedy Williams, Brooks. But he was did he was the better. same guy though. We he saw was the same guy though. Yeah, but I, I I thought he was a little sharper. I thought he was a little stronger. I thought he was this season. He was much yeah. more apt to run through arm tackles than he had been in the past. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. But hell, man, Kennedy Brooks got better after spending a year away from the team. Uh, <laughs> yeah maybe he spent the 2020 season training in college station with Schmidt. no it's stupid all right uh and for the record i said kind of a lot of the same stuff i said spencer rattler makes that leap to being you know as good as like you know first quarterback drafted type talent uh the running backs stay healthy Jaden hayeswood theo weiss they both play like five stars well it turns out that weiss didn't even play uh, Stogner and Willis stay healthy and create a nice dynamic combo as big old big body tight ends and all the defensive guys who were good in 2020 make a jump and I said that everything is reasonable and within reach <laughs> lol to that because that was not true at all okay Grant then we predicted Oklahoma's final regular season record I just you know I always predict Oklahoma's going to lose one game I said 11 and 1 uh, I said the most likely losses are either going to be to Texas or Iowa State. That was wrong. Of course, Oklahoma finished 10-2. and two. And you know what? You decided to put your uh, put everything on the table, Grant. You said, you know what? OU's going to go 12-0. and 0. It's finally time to stop screwing around and go through this bad schedule unbeaten. And this was a direct quote from you in the pre big season preview. You said, quote, we'll know if they're going to go undefeated by the Texas game, end quote. I think you were right, even though they were undefeated. But they were showing us plenty of evidence that they were most likely not going to go undefeated. I, uh, yeah, what yeah, can you great. say? I mean, it was uh, – I, I don't know what to say. I mean, the, the 2021 Oklahoma Sooners are – crazy predictions. No. These were not crazy predictions. No. The 2021 Oklahoma Sooners are by far my least favorite OU team ever. And it's like it's, – <laughs> it's not even particularly close. All right, now we got into the Big 12. And this is where you know, I, I think we did a pretty good job here. You know, we predicted, well, actually, you didn't do a very good job here. Yeah, this is actually maybe one of, between Eric Gray and this one's probably your, your two worst. Uh, which Big 12 team is better than expected? You said TCU. Wah, and, wah. Yeah. and I mean, here's your thing. Your, your reasoning was you said, quote, we know TCU's defense will be good to very good. End quote. Well, it wasn't, and Gary Patterson basically got fired. <laughs> so, like, the one time it wasn't good, that's, you know, that's it. Uh, you also said that Max Duggan, uh, Zach Evans, and Quentin Johnson will produce enough explosiveness to support the good to very good defense, which uh, that didn't happen. And I, I pointed out on the podcast, I said, hey, man, TCU's win total is only at seven. Uh, 
you know, they're not expected to be very good. Well, TCU was five and seven. So hopefully all of you listened to that and did not listen to Grant and you listened to me and you back the under. Uh, TCU was picked to finish fifth in the Big 12. And I guess I didn't write down where they ended up finishing. And they would have finished seventh or eighth, right? I should have wrote that down. Darn it. Uh, you you also added that you aside from TCU you pondered Kansas State and Oklahoma State so you're on the right track with the other two uh, and for me I said Kansas State and I said looking at their schedule they should get to six and six and I thought that they could get to seven and five Kansas State's win total going into the year was five and a half and uh, K State finished seven and five and then they won the bowl game went to eight and five so. Uh, they were picked to finish seventh in the Big 12. They've, they've obviously finished higher than that. Uh, but, I, you know, to be fair, I was kind of with you a little bit on TCU, but I wasn't endorsing them as much as I was endorsing Oklahoma State as the under-the-radar team. That could be better than people think. Correct answer to this question, though. Who was the Big 12 team that was better than expected? Two teams, right? Uh, yeah, it's Baylor. They had their best, the best season in school history. and So Baylor is the obvious one. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's the other because Oklahoma State was. Yep. I mean, honestly, was had the had the look of a top five team going to the Big Twelve championship game at the end of the year. So, um, hats off to them. Hats off to them for having a really good season. Um, Oklahoma should be. You know, I mean, that's those were really good Baylor and Oklahoma State teams, but n- not a single one of those teams are as good as any of OU's last f- six Big Twelve title teams. I don't think. For the record, Baylor was picked to finish eighth in the Big Twelve in the preseason poll. Ended up winning the Big Twelve. That's and I thought, you know, I thought Baylor's salty. defense would be really good again. I, I and I think I recall in the preseason, I just thought they were going to be atrocious on offense. I, I oh, thought yeah. there was just no and them them turning out to not only to not be atrocious, but to have a top fifteen to top twenty offense in college football was is, is was legitimately one of the biggest surprises in, in the entire country. This past season. Jeff Grimes, baby. What a job he did. Holy cow. All right, so this was your your one shining moment of the big season preview pod when we talked about the Big 12 overrated team. And you were all in on Iowa State. And here's what you said about Iowa State. You said, hey, guys, the hype has gotten totally out of control. Iowa State's a disciplined team who thrived in an odd season last year. Brock Purdy is very slippery. Other than that, he's a horrendous decision maker. We will learn a lot about Iowa State in week two when they play Iowa. I think there's a much better chance Iowa State goes seven and five this year than they win 10 games. Grant, I I don't think you could have nailed Iowa State anymore. You absolutely nailed the Cyclones. That was one of the easiest teams to peg like ever going into the season Ah. which i know i know it's easy for me to say that in hindsight but like i mean that's i mean you were saying at the time you can gloat i mean you also said i think iowa state will lose to iowa in week two and texas will probably lose to arkansas in week two (laughs) i said that you nailed that yeah you said that yeah boom by the way so iowa state was picked to finish second in the big 12 they finished fourth so it's not like they finished last but Definitely, they were getting top. I mean, they were in the top 10 in the preseason. Uh, and, you know, my pick wasn't that bad either. I said Texas. No, not and, a bad I pick mean, at all. Yeah. It, uh, 
I, my thing was is more by the book because Texas's win total, I think, was where was it? Uh, I, I, yeah, I said with their win total, where they're ranked, where they're being predicted in the Big Twelve. Texas is overrated. I also I thought Iowa State was overrated as well, as much as I hated to admit it. Uh, but I wasn't as hard to the hole on it as as you were. Uh, Texas, by the way, was picked to finish third in the Big Twelve. Texas finished seventh. And uh, okay, their win total was seven and a half, and they finished five and seven. Um, do you remember the? Do right. you remember how yeah. insane the rhetoric was after the OU Texas game, where it seemed like it was just like, yeah, these, these two teams are going to play in a rematch in Dallas. Like, I mean, and yeah, and I was just like, I remember listening to that like on the radio and stuff like that, driving back to Oklahoma City, and I was just I was cackling the entire time. <laughs> I just, I was like. People just can't help themselves with Texas. They never can. It's like it's like Colin Cowherd it's, with USC and Lincoln Riley. He just can't help himself. Yeah. It's got to be similar to why everybody seems to always want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Same state, biggest school in the state, or biggest like biggest brand. I I, I don't ever find the Cowboys be, to be particularly interesting. I don't really ever find Texas to be particularly interesting. I'm in the minority though, because a lot of people seem to love talking about those teams. I, and we both totally whiffed on who's going to play in the big 12 title game i said ou iowa state i went chalk was wrong you went with ou tcu also wrong uh but i will say that both of us said uh aside from ou if we had to pick a different team we both picked oklahoma state so it'll give us like a smidge like five percent credit for that but not really obviously it was osu baylor in the title game okay to the national scene which team or teams do you consider to be overrated? Grant, do you remember who you said your big your number one team was here? Uh, overrated? Aside from Iowa State? Aside from Iowa State? Uh, I don't actually know. You said Texas A&M. You said A&M has a two-game season. They play Alabama October 9th and at LSU on the last game of the season. And then you said, so naturally, they'll probably lose to Arkansas and Ole Miss, and every Texas A&M fan knows it, end quote. Boom. Boom. And they did indeed lose to both of those teams, although they did beat Alabama, which in the season you called, kind of. Which I did, weird. yeah, that week I called. I didn't. I, I, I hedged it a little bit. I didn't go all the way there, yeah. but just said yeah, that you, there's... You hinted heavily. Yeah, that it was that there was maybe some chaos that, that was going to happen. But they, they beat I, LSU, right? I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, I, th- I, think, I think, yeah, I think they did. Because yeah, <laughs> so, LSU was awful. <laughs> so, of course, they lose four other games that they weren't accounting for. I love it. I love it. I, if, it would be such a shame if Texas A&M takes a step like into the elite tier. That would be such a shame for college football. <laughs> It'd be such a shame for college football. I mean, they're just great. It's just great. Gonna... They're the easiest thing to predict every year. Every year. Oh, hold on. Got to fact check myself. A&M did indeed lose to LSU in the last game of the year. Wow. Well, you know. Uh, yeah. Gosh, they're so like... they lost. They're like, yeah. they're like consensus, like top four in every too early top 25 I've seen, which is the biggest, which is the biggest, eh, I don't know, I've ever seen. With, with with college football people. <laughs> so, by the way, A&M, uh, 
they finished eight and four, and uh, they finished unranked. A and M was in the preseason. By the way, they were ranked sixth in the preseason. So, preseason ranked number six. Finished the season L-O-L. unranked. O L. People aren't going to learn their lesson. They're, they're going to be in couple. the top five. They're going to be in the top five this, this, in the preseason this year. So they're going to no, lose no, four no. games. <laughs> it's pretty tough, though. Even with Kevin Sumlin being gone and Jimbo Fisher being there, they're still kind of in that, except for what, I think, either 2019 or 2020, one of those years, I think they had a, a double-digit win uh, in season. The, in the COVID year, they had, they had like their best season since Manziel, which, of course, it okay. came in the COVID year, which is hilarious. You also said that Notre Dame was overrated, which Notre Dame that was technically wrong. ended up not being overrated. That but, was wrong. Uh, you also said that there's no way Cincinnati is a top 10 team. <laughs> but if you want to toss them in uh, the preseason, you said that's fine. <laughs> and they made the playoffs, so that was kind of a swing and a miss. Uh, but you also did say that uh, Indiana at number 17 was overrated, and uh, that was a a home run. They finished Eight. two and ten. Two and ten season later. Yeah. Oh, and also, how about this? Uh, this is me just putting random notes in at the end of the podcast. Now, as we get ninety minutes in, uh, at this point, for some reason, you decided to comment on Charleston Rambo, and you said Charleston Rambo is probably going to go for fifteen hundred yards and twenty touchdowns. He almost in did. Actuality, didn't he? Eleven hundred yards, seven touchdowns. Huh. I mean. I mean, the, the the touchdowns weren't close, but the yardage, you're yeah, it was kind of close. Hey, hey, like I, Charleston Rambo put up 1,100 yards on a on a Miami offense that didn't have anybody throwing him the ball. That is a massive red flag. I'm just saying, like, massive. He was he completely disappeared in 2020 for OU. Completely disappeared after like game five in 2019 for OU. And I like. What we know now about what was going on with the head coach and everything, and just like I, they didn't know that they didn't know they did not know what to do with him. That's true. I will say though, I, I think Kerry Murdoch's brought this up a couple of times on the Sooner Scoop podcast, and I think we've talked about it as well. At one point though, especially I think in 20, 2020, and maybe even twenty nineteen, didn't it seem though that they were trying to force feed the ball to him a lot? Like they were trying to get him the football. Yeah, I suppose. It's just the way in which they were the way in which they were trying to do it. Yeah, they were trying to throw him swing passes. side to side. Yeah. And a big thing about a coach is you gotta be able to find ways to get the ball in the hands of your best players, but in an efficient way. I mean, the number one thing we've seen about this recently in recent memory, obviously, is Debo Samuel with the 49ers. But I mean, you can look back at I mean Sark with uh, at, at Alabama with the uh, receiver that I'm blanking on that won the Heisman Trophy, uh, Devontae Smith. I mean, they found ways to get him the ball, and he did crazy things with it. So, uh, okay, so my overrated team, uh, actually, I also said A&M. So we were, I guess we were both on the same with A&M. Uh, and I also said Notre Dame. So we were both wrong about Notre Dame. And I also said Indiana. So we, we were kind of on the same. But here's the thing, though. I look back at the preseason AP top 25 and then look at the final AP top 25. And <laughs> we could have mentioned almost every single team in the preseason top 25 and been like a, like a coin flip. We would have been right. Cause there was tons of like Oklahoma could have said was overrated. Oklahoma was ranked number two. They finished 10 Clemson ranked number three finished 14 kind of surprising. They finished as high as they did. Uh, A&M talked about them they were unranked Iowa State <laughs> Iowa State was ranked seventh 
finished unranked. North Carolina, they were 10, finished unranked. Uh, Oregon, number 11, finished 22. Uh, Wisconsin, number 12, unranked to end the season. Florida at number 13, finished unranked. The aforementioned Miami with Charleston Rambo, they were at 14, finished unranked. USC, <laughs> number 15, finished unranked. LSU, 16, finished unranked. The aforementioned Indiana, 17, finished unranked. I mean, this is almost the entire list. Uh, Penn State, Washington, Texas, Coastal Carolina, Arizona State. All of those teams are ranked in the top 25 in the preseason. All of those teams finished outside of the top 25 to end the season. It was still Texas A&M. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's the right answer because they were the highest ranked team that finished unranked. So, yeah, A&M was technically the correct answer underrated teams and i got this one wrong uh it was i said arizona state at number 25 was underrated uh they finished unranked but they went eight and five so like okay like it wasn't like a huge swing and a miss uh but also uh nailed this one i said utah at number 24 was underrated and utah finished the season number 12 went 10 and 4 and won the pack 12 and i know uh, Grant, you'll talk about Utah a little bit later. Your underrated teams. So here we go. So this is interesting. You were all on Iowa. You said Iowa at number 18 is totally underrated. Well, for the first half of the year, you were you're nailing it. But technically, Iowa finished the year 23. So they might have been Iowa a was like They ended up pretty properly rated. I mean, I think they went 10 and 4. Yeah, they were 10 and 4. I mean, that's you say the number eighteen team in the country went goes ten and four. Like they were probably you know pretty properly rated. Yeah, no, they were, they were. So this is interesting. Who are the correct answers preseason going into twenty twenty one? Who are the correct answers of the most underrated national team? Oklahoma State would need to be near the top of the list. Baylor, Baylor and Oklahoma State are at the top of the list. Um, yep. I mean, that's that's You're really I mean, those are, those are the two big ones I'm thinking of right now. So and a couple more than you'll just be like, oh, yeah, duh. Uh, yes. Baylor, Oklahoma State, both unranked. Baylor finishes the year 12 and two. They won the Big 12 uh, and Oklahoma State unranked finished the year number seven in the nation. 12 and two won the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, the, the biggest answer, the biggest uh, number one answer to this is actually Michigan. Michigan yep. was unranked. Yep. Made the playoff, finished number three, won the Big Ten. Uh, and then also in that in their same state, Michigan State. Michigan State was unranked. And they finished the year number nine in the, the final poll. They went 11-2. and two. Some other teams of note. You can throw Pitt Ole in Miss. there, too. Pitt's one of them. Yep. Pitt and Ole Miss. So Ole Miss and Pitt both unranked. Both finished right around. Uh, Ole Miss was number 11. Pitt was number 13. Uh, Utah. We talked about Utah a second ago. Uh, Wake Forest, unranked. Finished number 15. Uh, Louisiana was actually number 23. They finished number 16. So, okay, like they were slightly underrated. And then also you could throw in uh, Houston, Kentucky, BYU, NC State, Arkansas, Utah State, San Diego State. All those teams were unranked and ended up being ranked 
in the final poll. Arkansas definitely was a team, even though they, they finished kind of in the bottom part of the top 25, certainly a team that was un, uh, underrated going into the year. All right, to the Heisman Trophy. And this is a category you're just like, eh, not that interested anymore in the Heisman Trophy. Let's just kind of move on. Uh, we both picked Spencer Rattler because he was the favorite. It was like, I mean, why wouldn't it be Rattler? Uh, your backup pick was DJ Lungalele from Clemson, which crashed and burned. And my backup pick was Bryce Young. But uh, my my third choice also was DJ. But I'll take uh, I'll take half credit there for Bryce Young. Conference champions, Big Twelve. We both picked OU. We were both wrong because it was Baylor. ACC. We both picked Clemson. Uh, you predicted Clemson versus Miami in the ACC title game. And the correct answer was Pitt. And it was Pitt versus Wake Forest in the ACC title game. Uh, and this is uh, Grant in the podcast. You said, quote, if Clemson is not in their seventh consecutive playoff this year, something went very, very wrong for them. End quote. And what was that something? Uh, I mean, it was mostly, I mean, they're, they had one of the worst offensive lines I've like ever seen from, <laughs> from from a team that's supposed to be that highly regarded um and they were just uh you know dj ungalele was really really bad this year yeah it was their, awful i mean their quarterback was bad their their, their five-star quarterback was bad <laughs> they just which nobody saw that coming nobody did uh big 10 i said ohio state grant you went to the wisconsin well yet again you love going to the wisconsin well <laughs> uh you predicted a wisconsin ohio state big 10 title game of course, the correct answer was Michigan versus Iowa and Michigan winning it all. So, I mean, Big 12, ACC, Big 10, you all, all you and me, we, we whiffed. We didn't get it right. Finally, though, we get to the parts where we actually did get right. Out of nowhere, we both pick, I mean, we both got the SEC right because we took Alabama, but it looked like that wasn't going to happen because of Georgia. Uh, you picked Bama, Georgia in the title game, got that right. So, I mean, you nailed the SEC. You picked Bama, Georgia, Bama winning it. That's what happened. Uh, and uh, we both got Bama right. With Georgia, we were both on the same page. We were both saying basically that I'll believe it when I see it with Georgia. We just we hadn't seen it yet, so we just we didn't want to pick Georgia. And then finally, to our uh, our, our dual crowning moments of the big the big season preview, the Pac-12 champion prediction. I went into this podcast in August not knowing who your pick was. You didn't know who my pick was. We both picked Utah. And uh, you picked Utah versus Washington. It was Utah versus Oregon. And I didn't specifically pick who would play in the game, but I do think I hinted in the big season preview that it, they'd have to go through Oregon to get to the, you know, to, to win the Pac-12. But we both picked Utah. You made it very clear in the podcast that you don't like Oregon at all, <laughs> which seemed relevant considering Oklahoma ended up playing Oregon in the, in the bowl game. Uh, and we both thought about throwing UCLA into the mix in the Pac-12. And UCLA went eight and four. So I just kind of brushed over Utah a moment ago. We both correctly picked Utah to win the Pac-12, and uh, that not a lot of people did. The we only people in the entire country that did. Can you believe that? That's insane. I can't believe it either. Especially for a and team that started the season in the top 25. Like, man. They were like fringe top 25. They were uh, number 24, I think. Uh boy, Utah is that's my national crowning achievement is the the Utah Utes of 2021. 
Uh, okay, we're almost done. Our playoff predictions. Do you remember who you had in the playoff? I no? Probably OU, Alabama, Wisconsin, and Clemson. Clemson. Yep. OU, Wisconsin, Clemson, Bama was yours. Mine was the most boring playoff of of the last few years. I had OU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Bama. The actual playoff, Bama, Georgia, Cincinnati, and Michigan. Very like Actually, yeah, the most probably the most random collection of teams like relative to the preseason we've had in the playoffs so far. And uh, finally, national champion predictions. Do you remember who you picked to win the t- uh, national championship? Didn't I pick OU? You did not pick OU, no. So I picked Clemson then. You picked Clemson. Yeah, I remember going That's off correct. and saying, like, this is easy. Like, this is like, people are thinking too hard. Yeah, yeah. You took Clemson, and I followed my own personal rule on the big season preview pod. When you predict the national champion, you predict Alabama, and I was one game away. <laughs> of course, Georgia, the correct answer. So, in conclusion, you might be wondering if you've listened this long and you're, I guess, clearly bored and you just love hearing our voices, you're like, hey, who had the more, uh, the more, who had the most correct predictions and who had the most wrong predictions? Well, officially my record in predictions was 10 and six i got 10 right six wrong grant you were eight and nine eight and nine uh yeah i don't know who cares that, right? that's all you got i was gonna say like i'm that's fine i can't really tell the future except when i'm picking 70 percent of games against the spread over the course of the season then i can tell uh, the future good on you good on you all right, the ones that, nah, who cares? I won't even go over who we got right and wrong. Whatever. You're eight and nine. Anyways, 10 and six, I felt pretty good about that. Felt pretty good about 10 and six. Uh, that's it. That's the big season preview recap. Thinking we should. On west uh, of Everest. For, uh, for the next season preview, we should try to switch it up a little bit. Switch, uh, not just like throw out predictions like that. And I want to say because like predicting who, you know, who's going to have the most receiving yards rushing, that's boring. Let's, let's, let's try to think of something else. Yeah. You're right. I mean, I think at that point, you know, we started this in 2017 and it was more just like we wanted to to give everybody tons of OU content. We wanted to be as detailed as possible and we wanted to predict a lot of stuff because people like predictions. And so, you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe after what is that? 17, 18, 19, 20, maybe after five OU football seasons, the big season preview podcast needs a little bit of evolution. Needs uh, needs to be, um, I don't know. Maybe it needs to go into the transfer portal and find a new new destination. I'd like you to have, uh, have those ideas on my desk. Uh, first thing on Monday morning, please. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, um, that does it for another super long podcast. Hopefully you guys are enjoying our kind of off-season long podcasts. I'm not sure why I said kind of off-season because this is the off-season. Spring practice will be here and. I don't know, like eight weeks, six, seven, six, seven, eight weeks. I'm not sure when our next podcast is going to be, though. I, I guess maybe next week because we're going to have uh, signing day stuff maybe to talk about. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if it's interesting. Um, Super Bowl. I'm fully expecting, uh, like, you know, I mean, and who knows? And I'm sure as soon as I expect this, it'll, get, it'll be crazy. But, you know, relative to how it's been the last two months, man, I, I expect kind of the lead up to spring ball to be quiet. And I want it to be. I hope no... I hope no, you know, players who are expected to have big roles on the 2022 team get arrested for armed robbery. <laughs> well, that 
<clears throat> that happened in the summertime, I believe. So uh, I'm pretty sure that happened in the spring. June? Pretty sure it happened in the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're. Yeah, man. I also hope that nobody <laughs> on Oklahoma's football roster gets a re- gets arrested as well. Uh, I can't, okay. I, until next like, time. I, yeah. I'm just saying. I can't. I can't begin to emphasize enough how easy it is to not get arrested. Well, considering that you've never been arrested and I've never been arrested, uh, I would also like to put my hat in the ring of I also think it's easy not to get arrested. But maybe it's one of those things where it's super easy not to get arrested until you get arrested and you totally change your mind on it. I don't know. It's dynamite know. analysis. Hopefully, hopefully Can't get this anywhere it, else, baby. I know. Hopefully, when it comes between you and me, we never have to get to that point. Because that would mean something really wrong happened. You hear that, everyone? Everyone knows what that is. It's me knocking on wood. Very superstitious person. All right, let's get out of here. For Grant, I am Lee. Until next time, this is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also... Tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.